1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 66 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope everyone is settling in well into their second week and it's a time when social media has come into its own. Because of bandwidth usage, which is a boring term for the amount of space I've got to put these podcasts up online, I'm recording this intro to the podcast a week before it's due to come out, which is, well, last Sunday evening. So it's pointless me mentioning this godforsaken virus, because anything I say now will be seven days old. But what I would like to say is all the very best to Dave Buonaguidi, real hackney Dave on Instagram. Dave contracted the virus a few weeks ago, and I was speaking to him just yesterday, and he was saying that after a few weeks he thinks he's finally just on the mend. So all the very best to Dave and get well soon, mate. You can go and listen to Dave's episode, which was Mizog Art Podcast at the time. That is episode number 20. But back to this week's episode. This is an artist I've had lined up for quite some time, but we've never quite been able to secure a date. But a couple of weeks ago, an artist that I was going to meet up with had to cancel that morning due to ill health. So I put a call out over social media. And Mark Sloper got in touch to tell me that he was actually free. So I travelled over to his Shepherds Bush studios to record this episode. Mark is a punk artist and punk he is through and through. When you go to his studios, he's got original punk memorabilia hanging everywhere. You'll find out how and why in this episode. I first met Mark a couple of years ago when I invited him onto my Face Value show. Michel Mildenhall had donated a stunning latex portrait of Audrey Hepburn. I gave it to Mark and he added some beautiful pink neon text reading Anarchy Audrey. Mark has got both an amazing life story and career. So come and join me with punk artist Mark Sloper. What do you refer to as a neon artist or a neon designer?
2: No, I, do you know what? I, I've, you know, this is the thing. I work with neon. But I don't want to be trapped by neon. So really, it's just I do art. Yeah, you know, I do. And, and you punk artist is what. I'm yeah, actually, well, <laughs> punk artist is what I would describe myself as. Yeah. Because everything I do is based from my childhood. Yeah. I'm only regurgitating stuff that I've
3: always thought about since I was a kid. And that was was that the music that you got into. Yeah, so
2: so even now, look, we're up in Shepherd's Bush. I mean, you know, the chip shop at the bottom of the road, Sid Vicious used to live above. Yeah. The road behind Davisville Road is where The Clash lived and rehearsed. Um, Just last Monday, my mate Cookie from the Sex Pistols lives at the bottom of the road. He needed a new video for um his band, The Professionals. They've gone on tour this week. They're uh, touring with Stiff Little Fingers who aren't nice. so good. Well, I didn't really like them, but they're doing some of their own dates as well. And they got a new EP that came out on Monday. So we're speaking now, middle of March. And I made this, I blagged this uh, arcade down in South Sea Pier on the blag that, you know, I'm going to bring a sex pistol down to South Sea. And they're like, oh, can you bring, can we bring the local paper? Everyone wants, you know, there's a lot of people out there you forget. The sex pistols are, you know, proper iconic group now. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, you don't even have to like them, but you've heard of them. Yeah and you don't get to meet a Sex Pistol very often Rotten's off in LA going nuts (laughs) Jonesy's not very well he's keeping a low profile and uh, the the little bitter and twisted one Glenn Matlock well who'd want to meet him anyhow so you know let's talk about the real guy so this is Cookie's little uh, new record this is The Professional's 2020 vision and like they say Gary the music you like when you're 13 years old is the music that keeps you forever yeah There's Cookie, look, banging out the drums. Still, It's still got a nice little Sex Pistols feel to it. Yeah, yeah. It's got them riffy guitars, simple lines, sing-along songs, and uh, Cookie banging the drums like, you know, he's going to die tomorrow. It's great. <laughs> I mean, that looks cool, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. It's always going to be, though, isn't
2: it? You know, the, uh, again, but uh, of course I like the video, because arcades are traditional homes of neon yeah. so looking at the background of their look I mean they're, they're proper old 1930s 40s 50s yeah. neons yeah. and look they're still going strong they're not going anywhere that's what I love about working with neon it's just that you know like I was showing you my, some of my new pictures I mean I could just paint them but they're not going to have that sort of life to them yeah. I mean to me the neon is only an enhancement of my, of my art I mean I could just do prints and art like everyone else but, you know, I've, I think I've got a lovely little niche going, and it and it still remains very punky and very... Uh,
3: Is the cost a problem for yourself and the buyer? It's always going to
2: be a problem for the buyer. It's always going to be a problem for the But The actual raw materials, the transformers, the electrics, the actual glass tubes, mm. the amount of time it takes us to bend the glass. I mean, it's just really an expensive Yeah. A medium. I wish it wasn't so expensive, but, you know, what What are you going to do? I'm not going to get it farmed out of China and sell rubbish. So, I mean... Basically, I was just explaining to someone at an art fair yesterday, my work is the equivalent of buying something like a Venetian glassblower, and mm. people are quite prepared to pay thousands of pounds for a Venetian-blown glass, yeah. glass. Yeah. well, the neon tubes ain't no different, I mean, it's as complicated, I mean... I've,
3: I've had a go of it myself with Korti, um, cool yeah. yeah, and yeah, uh, I know, Rob, yeah. It's, it's not an easy...
2: It's not easy, and you know, for everything that I make, I've probably had three or four breakages... Yeah. So it's like, for me, because I'm not that great at it, you know, I'm a one in fibre. I'm sort of, I, I blow my own trumpet. I'm like considering myself the Rolls Royce of neon now. And, you know, but it, it you know, they, they have to be accurate. They have to be aligned. I can't bear a wonky sign. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Wonky is not Do for Do you me. blow your own? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while now. There's a guy out in the countryside, Adrian, who's semi-retired, and he teaches me stuff. And, uh, and I am... Um, you know he's not got long left in the game, so I've got to up my game and yeah. get going. He's always going to let me use his shack, which is a fantastic asbestos shack. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> so brilliant. I'm in there dying every week. Yeah. I go down on Saturdays and Sundays as though I haven't got enough to do in the week. And I spend my weekends with him, and it's just um. You know, I've got to learn before he cocks it. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, you know, if he, he's on. And will
3: you take over the asbestos shed when he goes? That's the plan.
2: <laughs> I don't see how I'm going to be able to move <laughs> it. <but laughs> the, and the equipment, it's like it's like something out the Victorian times. I yeah. mean, it's, there is no modern neon equipment because yeah. they have never made it. No. I mean, the gas presser and the, the, I mean, the gas is all right to blow the glass, but the the, the, the compressor, you know, to, 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 to pump the, ga- the gas afterwards. I mean, it's just something like out the Stone Age. I mean, it must weigh five tons. I mean, you'd never be able to move it. (laughs) So, but I don't know. His wife's a bit younger, fortunately, so there might be some hope for me
3: yet. Well, we should mention I'm with Mark Sloper, a.k.a. Illuminati Neon Neon. Mark Illuminati, Illuminati. depending on which social media site you.
2: Which one they allow me to use Mark Illuminati on? So,
3: your your friends who are the sex pistols? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Or at least 75% of them.
2: Yeah, I would. I would I, obviously I don't know Sid, <laughs> because uh, he'd be just a bag of bones now,
3: don't um, yeah. I, I mean, if he was alive, I would certainly know him, yeah. So, just give us a run through about what you've always done before you became an artist.
2: Well, I'm primarily, and I still am, I still work, I'm, I'm, I'm a television and film director, so I've always made the films for the punk band, yeah. so that's my big thing. I mean,
3: Or if not, I could go back and ask, I always forget yeah, about my questions. Yeah. The first question being, mm. that I ask everyone, yeah, yeah. is how would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work? That's really easy. I'm a punk artist. Good. So the simple thing is, is that you know,
2: if I do a picture of the Queen, she's a punk queen. If I do, if I do a Spanish flag, it's got an anarchy A on it, yeah. and I, everything revolves around that prime of my life. I, I think when I was 11 years old, and I was the mascot, the little runaway boy from home. I was the mascot for a band called Adam and the Ants. Wow. When they okay. were a punk band, and Andy Warren, uh the bass guitarist, semi adopted me, and I used to crash in his flat in South Kensington, and he used to throw me on stage and I would go, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'll bring you
3: Adam and the Ants Excellent.
2: And for that I would get a nice board, a hot dog, yeah. uh and somewhere to stay, because I was very, very naughty as a child, and I was a bit uncontrollable. And how old so was you then? 11. Shit. So, but, you know, I got away with it because my mum was in a mental institution, yeah. and my dad had cleared off with one of his women. So yeah. I, I had a great childhood because it was free, and I could do what the fuck. Yeah. Oh, sorry for the swear. I could do That's what right. I wanted, but I had a terrible childhood because I, I had no boundaries. Yeah. So I, luckily, I had some sort of sense in me that I didn't go down the path of, the drink and the drugs yeah. and especially the drugs even then it was like it was more pills then yeah with the punks and uh everyone was always trying to get me you know and i just because they i was offered it so much I, it, it was it was a good thing because it made me back off from it more and even yeah. now i'm just you know i mean i, I have a drink like everyone else but I, I don't i don't approve of drugs at all because i've seen what it does to people and it's just terrible you know you so.
3: don't still go on stage you've with- I no, I know. go on stage now with my camera <laughs> and I film them,
2: you know. So, uh, you know, the, very, the my, one of my great moments. It was a bit late in life, though. But the Sex Pistols did, as all these bands do, they did a massive reunion um, week at Brixton Academy, and even this is like fifteen years ago. Yeah. And uh, Julian Temple asked me to film it for him because he knew I was mates with the band. And I got all the cameras and stuff. So we had a week at Brixton Academy listening to the Sex Pistols rehearsing, yeah, no, think, playing live. And I said to Julian, I said, surely we didn't get enough shots on the first Surely, surely we cocked it up. And he was like, Mark, just stayed a week. Yeah. So we filmed it all week long. And, then I, you know, just been with my mates and just filming it. It was just absolutely brilliant. And it just, you know, i got do everyone. you make it feel like a kid again? Do you know, I, I, I would have done it for nothing. Beautiful. I would have done it for nothing. And, I, and you know, there's a DVD of it now. But the great thing was, on the, on the the on the DVD... Julian was like, what can we do? What can we do, Mark? What can we do? I said, well let's go let's go to each part of London which we relate back to the pistols. So like with Paul and Steve, we did like we went to the Pie and Mash Shop. Nice. You know, because that's where they used to go. Yeah. So we filmed all these things, like you can see it all on the on the film. It's called There'll Always Be in England. And we revisit all the places. Just round here, within a square mile of here in Shepherd's Bush, all the places where Steve and Paul used to nick stuff and rehearse and I mean, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I found out so much about them that, you know, they kind of mentioned in conversations but never really said. And it was great because Steve was here too, and he lives in Los Angeles now, and he, he used the office here as his base for the week. Nice. And uh, all he wanted me to do all day long was go to him to uh, memorabilia shops to buy Nazi uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what do you want a you Nazi what do you want a nasty uniform for, Steve? He's like... Oh, I want to wear it around Los Angeles on my motorbike. I was like, "No, you don't. You like, you want to dress up in it in your bedroom, and <laughs> yeah. Get your todger out. What you <laughs> want to do?" So, so he's uh, no, we had, a, we had a really, really, really brilliant week. It was just um, that'd be that I've like, done it for nothing. But the film's good too. On that note, off filming, band still I'm very good friends with uh, Mr. David Vanian. He's a very um, oh, yeah. very private man. He's the singer of Damned, and I loved Damned. The Sex Pistols call them muppets. They always thought they were the Muppet band, yeah, you know, because yeah. they're a bit cartoony. Well, I love the Damned, and we had the opportunity just—they um, did a massive Halloween show at the Palladium, oh, yeah. which David orchestrated. So we filmed that for David, which I've got here. I can show you a bit in a bit, nice. and that—that that was really, really brilliant too. So all these things come around, you know, and and then I, I'm a terrible name dropper, and I've just—I've got back from holidays. I've just been on holiday with Hugh Cornwall. We go to Mexico every year together, nice. and we sit on the beach and. We're like grumpy old men. <laughs> My missus has to go and yeah. sort of sit in the cafe because she can't yeah. bear it any longer. But oh, we right. just sit there and moan about everything. <laughs> so uh, the coronavirus hadn't quite got going mm. at this point. But um, Hugh and I sit down and we seriously moan, which is great. It makes your holiday do better, doesn't it? Yeah, well, we go out to dinner every Friday. So we sort of we save our moaning for dinners in Solo. But it's sort of. um. Yeah, but funny enough, in the old days, all the bands were completely. Did not like each other. Yeah, I remember it. Great. I was not even allowed being a Pistols boy, and at Ants because there was a connection there yeah. with this lady called Jordan. I was not even allowed to mention the word the Clash. I mean, I know Paul's friends with Paul Simon now and some of them, but we were. If you are into the Pistols, you were Pistols you into the clash you the Clash. it was so funny and there was a big dividing line
3: yeah it's always it it always used to be like that with every genre of music yeah didn't you'd it? soon get your little walls it was mods up. and some rockers and yeah and you know
2: i remember i remember you know hanging around on the kings road when i was really young and and really being rude to kids that were into the clash yeah because they didn't quite look right it yeah. was all a bit like a bit a bit too bob they were they like they were leather jacket kids they yeah. weren't proper punks because we, we didn't have the money for leather jackets
3: I'd either steal stuff or just wear anything people would give me you know well I think I, I don't know when that when did that stop because it doesn't happen now as far no, as, as no I
2: mean right. I like the Clash obviously I mean you know I don't
3: mean them but I mean just people being so into their music they wouldn't entertain another genre. I, I mean, bet, you no, have I don't the know. The Irish lot.
2: So. No, they wouldn't probably like grime. I don't know. I mean, the funny thing is, though, I mean, I've got grown up,
3: fairly grown up kids,
2: and they don't have that passion for music no. that we grew up with. They don't have that. And it
3: doesn't seem to be associated to a fashion, no, either, does it? No, that's
2: the thing. That's the thing. I mean, I was attracted to the way I looked and the hairstyle and the clothes, because I was always into the rocker style of it, because that was the only reason when I ever did see my dad, I was always. Like, try and get a few quid out of him for leather jackets and brothel creepers because yeah, yeah, yeah. he thought, Oh, that's all right. Because my dad's a big old teddy boy. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. My son's getting into rock and roll music. Yeah. He would give me gladly give me money for a pair of brothel creepers or drain pipes, you know, which was the sort of look Rotten yeah. adopted. So I've always had a quiff because, you know, it, it, like, it, it kept a lot of people off my back yeah. because it was a sort of, even though it was a punk one. You know, and and it lasted me well because, you know, it didn't take long after punk then what was it, the eighties, the stray cats were huge. Yeah, I
3: think the the fashion and music stopped with the casuals because I don't think the casuals were music led. That was just fashion led, wasn't it, with the Lacoste and the Pringle. Yeah,
2: I never got that so much. I just thought that was too easy to be honest with you. Yeah,
3: I drifted from being I was into scar myself, you know, like madness Mm. specials and Mm. I drifted from that into Casuals for a, for a little while.
2: I'd obviously, I mean, I you know, I the, the the thing with the punk thing is the punk music. is quite simply rooted in the original rock and roll music. Mm. And of course, McLaren in the sex shop used to play Billy Fury, Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran, yeah. and that's still truly the music that I do really love. And that's the music my when my dad was around. I remember him playing in his car, smoking his cigars, and having dolly birds. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah. Because my dad, um, I don't. know and he, like my dad did, used to look a bit like Elvis, and did not it's find not, it, not, fun, not, not didn't find it very difficult to have the lovely skills in yeah. our little. Uh, I wouldn't look like Elvis, but in the
3: later years, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Burger about, years, yeah, about a fortnight after he fell off the carzy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but even now, I mean, you know, when you go back to proper, you know, fifties Elvis, it just sounds like punk rock. I mean, yeah. it's just fantastic. It's him, it's guitar, they're on fire, they're angry. You know, they're really yeah. they're really hitting their instruments hard. It, it, it's lovely. Thousands of rock. There's kids a bit to of be. neon out there as well. Well, that? that's another reason why <laughs> I'd like to go. You know. So was, when
3: did the neon or, or the artwork come into play? Well, when I got to
2: about sixteen, I've been I've been chucked out of every school. I mean, I, I mean, just as I was just a casual. I was, like, I was like a gypsy. Yeah. So they they treated me. I think they classed me as a gypsy. The only thing I had to be careful of was they were constantly trying to put me into care, which I... Just, and, and what age was this? Between 11 and 16. So I was constantly dodging. So I was scared to go to school, because I always had that... You know, when you're a kid, your imagination runs well. I was always scared that someone was going to put their hand on my shoulder. The rat catcher. And almost like imaginations have been incarcerated, because I just thought I was like this free spirit. But there was this one guy, he wasn't my proper uncle, I called him Uncle Reg, and this sounds really dubious. He was a hairdresser in the local town and lived with his boyfriend, Ian. And I'd let him... He used to do my hair for all the trendy...
3: Yeah.
2: But after Punk died out, sort of 79, 80, it became fashionable. Yeah. So I would do these hair shows for him where he'd let me live at his house, as long as I kept quiet, in, literally in his basement, like an American basement, in this big house. As long as I would do the hair shows. So every weekend I'd be off to some hair tournament. They'd dye me hair, cut my yeah. hair. And I was able to use his address.
3: As your home address? As my home address. Nice. What they
2: didn't work out was the relationship. Because yeah. at that time, there's no way they would have let like a 13-year-old boy live with two gay men yeah. in a small town.
3: That you weren't know. your uncle.
2: <laughs> it wasn't my <laughs> uncle, but I said he was my Uncle Reg. Yeah. and uh, So I got away with it. Like, and once you're 16 no one gives no, no. no one actually cares no. anything about you whatsoever. you're out of anyone's responsibility and then when I was 16 now this is the ironic thing without hardly any schooling and I'm not blowing my own trumpet I had to sit the exams like all other kids and I flew through the exams
3: right.
2: and then I went to um, art foundation course where was that? in Wiltshire uh, and then I uh, although I'm from Cornwall and then I um, did that flew from the A-levels I found the A-levels actually easier because I was quite interested in it so I actually did attend yeah. college um, I uh, flew all me. I obviously did art and photography and I did a foundation course and I actually couldn't wait to get to sort of university or art school because I thought well I'll be completely stable then because that'll be the first yeah, time yeah. I'll have my own place to live and I loved it and then I went to art college in Sheffield and I had three years of joy because I had like somewhere to live and uh you know, money, I was on a full grant and used to get a full grant did you
3: know what you wanted to do after college?
2: do you know yes and no so I always did even as my fourth A level did photography, I always loved photography I got loads of work experience I started taking pictures yeah. of the bands and like um, Andy Warren I mentioned earlier on went on to be in a band called The Monochrome Set, I did an album cover for him when I was like 15 I you know. I used to print my own pictures. Nice. And, I, I, and, and, and I just found photography, I just found it really easy. I thought, yeah. hey, only Bert can do this. Yeah. But obviously I've got a good eye for framing and composition. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll be a photographer. And I thought about it, and I thought about it. And I thought, do you know what? I don't think I'll be happy being a photographer. I think there's, you know, I'd like... So to cut a long story short, on my last year at art school, I took a module in film. And it was filmed then; it was 16mm film, yeah. and loads of bands come out of Sheffield just before me. The Human League, Heaven Seventeen. There was all this big music scene. There was a club at the bottom of my road called the Leadmill. I lived on Queen's Road in Sheffield, and I said to the Lead Mill, "I said, look, any little band you got coming along, I got this sort of college project. I film them for nothing. I'll, I'll get, I blag the film out of college. I got the edit suites. I was inundated. Nice." I was in it because film was really expensive then. To make a pop video then, you're talking 20, 30, 50 grand. Yeah. they all these little indie bands. So I I I found some of the old films out and I'm still really quite proud. They look great because yeah. they're on film. yeah I thought, oh, I like this film, Lark. So then um, I left college and I thought, well, I've got to get to London. I've got to get, everything's in London. Now, I was obsessed with London because of Soho and the lights and the bands and all my mates were here. And I thought, well, if I can work it out, I've looked after myself this long, ain't gonna So one of my mates, Andy from Wiltshire, he'd kicked in his job in the pig in the pig factory in Bowyers, <laughs> killing pigs and making pork <laughs> pies. And he'd come up and blagged a job in computers and had a house in um Wallington, South London. Mm. And he says, Oh, get your job in the city, Mark, you can earn like hundred pounds a day, it's easy, we just piss about and get pissed, and we just fiddle with computers and pretend we're busy. So I said, I went, I went for a day, and I hated it. I, was, I had to wear like, didn't wear a suit. I had to wear a shirt and trousers, and I was like, oh, this is not me at all. I thought I can't do this. This is nonsense. Early nineties, and I thought, so I started applying for jobs, and I got a job initially as an assistant with this old, with this company called Media Lab in Chelsea Wharf. It was perfect for me because I support Chelsea Football Club, know the area. It's the King's Road. I thought, oh, this is my homecoming. What I didn't realize was that it was run by two men called Godly and Cream who were the meanest men in show oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of them yeah. <laughs> They've <laughs> They've right, so didn't know. they'd gone into making music videos and obviously I'd done all these music yeah. videos I'd they were like quite astounded by the output I'd done when I was at Sheffield. They took me on straight away, but I remember they put me on 100 pound a week and uh, and, I, and uh, I was there about a month and I uh, used to have I still have my student loan overdrive yeah, they yeah. canceled it. I said, guys, I can't live on hundred pound a week. I'm giving my mate Andy 50 quid and the train fare from Walletton's 50 quid. I can't... I, I, yeah, I just, actually can't feed myself. No. And they sat me down in their boardroom. I remember it forever. There's another guy there called John who was their financial director. And I just heard yesterday, he died a couple of years ago. And he um, he flipped and they, he said to me, and they, they passed it on to their financial guy. They said, no, there's no pay rise for you, Mark. You no. carry on doing what you're doing. It's great, we love you, but it's hundred pound a week. And that day... The next day, they said, oh, you've got to go come and work on a video for uh, the police now with Sting and uh, Stuart, and uh, you ain't getting no more money. And then I remember filming this number one video around the back streets of Chelsea. And uh, most of the videos we did were number one videos. I remember, I can't do this. You know what I mean? I'm filming it. I'm putting it together. i I'm, I'm, I'm editing it. I'm, yeah. I'm literally doing all the work, the technical work. They're just you know, telling me what to do. We're putting their name on the bottom. And I was like, I can't carry on like this. I just couldn't I couldn't feed myself, you know. So um but then I met another company and another company and another company and so on, so uh but at this point what had happened though, there's no art. There's no art. And to cut a long story short, I was always thinking in an artistic way, always wanting to find the time, wanting to have a little room to do bits. Um but you know, I was a bit confused because I was just literally trying to look after myself. Next thing you know, you know, have a couple of kids and you get a house and a mortgage, and it just goes out the window. Mm. It's funny; it, it's always there. It's funny, and then to cut long, really long, long story short, I got back into the art, took one of the rooms in, turned it that room down the end, turned it into my little art studio.
3: Did you have this at the time? Or did yeah, you yeah, I got... had
2: this luckily, and you know, television stuff's always done all right. I mean,
3: we're saying this; this is a a set of. Seven I, or eight studios. Studios, yeah.
2: yeah. I did have this, yeah. Um, but it was all television because years ago, these were all edit suites. Yeah. Like this, like yeah. I just showed you. Uh, but the, people can do it on a laptop now. Mm. People don't need to come in Yeah. So I got these, I got a couple of edit suites here for myself and grading suites, but I just to do my own work. So then I started doing my art and I met this fantastic man that kind of gave me a completely different perspective on things called Chris Bracy. He's God's Own Junkyard, he's the King of Neon, he is the master, and I dearly loved him. And so the idea was, I was going to do up all the backdrops, paint a load of pictures, hand-paint a load of pictures. Chris was going to neon farm. we're going to do some punk projects together. So we started. I started doing it up. Um, there's a big Chris Bracey neon, which is dad-made, out there, nice. which I showed you, the Wall yeah, of yeah. Death. I, s- I took Cookie from the Pistols round there to meet him, and we went out to a little cafe, and I presented him with one of these triptychs of the Pistols. You can't Same. buy these things. No. These are all from the band's personal collection. And I gave him one for his cafe in the junkyard he was just opening, and he was absolutely, he couldn't believe it. And then I said, oh, ta and he's a sex pistol to be <laughs> <into it. laughs> Just and, to put the cherry yeah, on your Yeah, band. and uh, we went round there, and uh, we went out to the Spanish cafe, and... Um, it was fantastic. So I had a sort of a year with Chris thinking about how to do it, what to do with all this stuff and I love the neon and I've got it all around my house, all Chris's stuff and we're swapping pictures and just about to do this big collaboration and I went to his summer party and I remember turning up on my motorcycle and I pulled up and he opened the gates he goes, oh, oh, Sloper's here, yeah. Sloper's here and he comes over, boulders brow, sits down, he goes, you're sitting with me today, Mark, but I've got something to tell you." And I said, oh, what's that, Chris? He goes, I'll be gone in three months. I said, what, I mean, closing the now, Don't be daft. I said, what, the rates or the rent or what's happening? He goes, no, I've got prostate cancer. He says, I've been a, been a fool. I didn't get it looked at soon enough. He goes, I knew there was something wrong and it's gone all up back. And it's, yeah. it's gone up to the top of my head and... He goes, I won't be here. I was, and I was still like, don't be stupid. Yeah, things winding you up. Yeah, don't be stupid, Chris. You know, you can't because we've got all these things to do. And, yeah, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. So, and, <laughs> and I went away and I, was, I wasn't I was shocked because I still honestly didn't believe it. And then within like flashes, that summer went by. It was August and was September and it was in... The, what was that,
3: two years ago, three years no, ago? No, about five years ago. Was yeah. it really? Yes,
2: time's flown by. And uh, next thing I know, I was in my car and I was stuck in a traffic jam in Acton. I thought, sod it I'm going to you know I know his family with him oh, I just want to speak to Chris so I, I phoned phoned him in his hospital bed he was in uh, guys I think yeah and uh, I phoned him and he sounded terrible and then he sent, started sending me all these pictures of himself he'd imagine himself as like a Viking and he was flying to Valhalla and he was on like these spaceships and these crafts yeah and uh, I did those stupid bloody things i changed my phone and i couldn't oh, for fuck's sake. and i lost my last pictures chris sent me of him uh basically going off to heaven biking heaven i was like oh what have i done and i went to vodafone and asked him to go through the records i'll find it somehow but that was it and he died the next day
3: so it wasn't did you it, carry on doing neon with god's own junkyard after that
2: well there was a big gap marcus's son does it now yeah. but marcus does his thing yeah and I do my thing so it, it was a very difficult thing and the whole family involved in Neil and uh, you know I thought what would Chris say I keep thinking what would Chris say and the thing is I think he'd, he he love what I'm doing with it because of the the artistry associated it's like it's really not sign writing it's really like as I keep showing you go, the art is there it's very art it's high end art enhanced by Neil.
3: yeah when I mean, you use the Queen a lot in your I do. Um, that's
2: from Punk Days. From oh, Jamie that's Reed. what I was going to say. Does it come from Jamie? It comes Reed? directly from Jamie Reed, and, and you know what? I love the images, and I, lo- I love how shocking it was in 1977.
3: Then i still holds some weight, don't it? It
2: does hold some weight. It's lovely art, and yeah, you know, I've got a full collection of it. Which Jamie? Jamie's been here yeah. and given me all that art. Um, I bought it. I've been buying it off him over the years for ages. He can't travel much now. He's he's got a bit um, decrepit, unfortunately. But um, my version of the Queen is very much more modern and vibrant, but it's still taking the piss, and it's still... And I know Jamie loves it. Yeah. I, I know he's seen it. And all the band love it all. And i got this great story, and it's an unbelievable book true story. I sold, or traded, I did a show in Shepherd's Market in the middle of Mayfair, and uh, this guy just around the corner from Maddox owns... Um, a luxury leather goods company, and they're called Gladstones. I think he's moved to, uh, just behind Piccadilly Circus stuff. The guy that owns is called John, John Gladstone. It's, it's a,
3: got one of yours in the window, hasn't it's it? has got
2: one in the window saying London Calling.
3: When I walked past that,
2: yeah.
3: I walked past it probably, I don't know, maybe, would it be a year ago? Yeah, a couple of years, yeah. I walked past it and yes. I was like, What what's, what's he doing in it. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not one of yours, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So he's got it hanging by
2: chains in the window and it's selfie central and all the Japanese kids that will take pictures with but it's been very good for him publicising because he's a London yeah. guy. So I did I was I was doing a show on Green Park, right opposite the back of the palace, and John came round, walked round and he said, Mark, the Queen's Lady in Waiting is also called Elizabeth. And she's requested, can she borrow one of the pictures, the Prince of the Queen? She's going to show it to the Queen, and I said, "Oh, yeah. does that mean I can get one of them, like on the baby beanstalk, yeah. by appointment to Her <laughs> Majesty?" He says, "Well, I don't know if you'll get that, but let's see what she says." I said, "No one's going to believe this." He says, "Get them to ask me, Mark, because he had just kitted out a uh, Bentley in brown Gladstone leather Shit. and done a little drinks cabinet and, and a little, a, a little, little bag that goes with it and all this, all the bits." he said, she's going to see it. So I sent uh, one of my original queen prints round, and the tattoo on the queen's neck that I draw in... She ain't it. had the tattoo done herself, is she? Well, <laughs> I wish. The, the, the tattoo at the time said Prince Philip. know yeah. oh, it said, I love Philip, with yeah. a big heart, you know, sailor's heart. And um, the note I got back from Elizabeth, the lady-in-waiting, to John was the Queen very much likes your interpretation. Because I make her look very beautiful. Yeah. She looks more like Elizabeth Taylor in my picture. But she says, she doesn't like the tattoo. She doesn't mind the nose ring. She thinks that's very, <laughs> very on on point. She doesn't like the tattoo. And I said, oh, what do I do? She says, could you please um, use the line and the orb that she uses oh, on nice. her bathroom to the slippers and immediately update all your prints and we'll all be good. So I did. Excellent. Well, no. <laughs> and that's a Super. true story. Super. Oh, I shall tell that one when I'm on my deathbed next week with the coronavirus. that
3: letter made up into a... Well, I wish it was a letter.
2: Oh, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great like, to It wasn't it, a letter, it was just... It was just spoken. Ah, I know. But you can go and see John Gladstone, buy one of his uh, two and a half thousand pound travel bags and... Uh,
3: yeah, you're right.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and get the
3: story from John. What piece that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection? One I've just made that's currently not here. It's taken me a while
2: to work out how to do it. I've always grown up like in history. Um, And in in terms of art history, not old art, I've always liked maps. I find maps very intriguing. And I've always wanted in my house an old map of ye olde Soho. And I couldn't find one. So, and I always like that Hogarth time when people used to drink the gin out of the tap, and you put like the tuppence in, and yeah. you stick your head under the tap and get pissed for the day. I love Hogarth, and that's I, I love those little old corners of Soho. You can just see little bits that were from
3: glimmers, it. yeah. Just
2: not much. There's now. not many, no, no, but mere streets. It'd, if it'd you be want. a
3: good. It'd be a, a, a door arch, or... but yeah,
2: just a tiny little corner, and I can really spend a lot of time just contemplate. I just sit there and. I always very, very associate to the past. I think I'm from the past, and even the Soho that I knew as a kid. In the you know the late seventies, early so eighties. Fair bit of neon there as well. Yeah, isn't there? There, it was an entirely different Soho to the Soho, the sanitised Soho we have now. Yeah. And I remember being literally pulled in doorways as a kid by prosies, going, yeah. "Oh, you know, I'll give you, I'll suck you off for uh, five." Yeah. When they had no trade, and, and I'm always up in Soho, and I'm just like. So, I've reimagined this piece and I've made my own Hogarthian map. Nice. And I've put on streets from that were, um, don't exist anymore. Because World War II, a fair old bit of Soho got whacked mm. and they rebuilt it in those streets. So, I've got a really old, based on a sort of 1800s map, I've redrawn this map based on Soho Square and I've called it the Den of Iniquity. And I've put on little symbols, so you look behind the neon, and I've put a big red light around, around it, so it's a big the red light district. And you look behind the neon, and I've put on these little symbols. I have got molly houses, prostitutes' dens, gin dens, mad houses, asylums, yeah. workhouses. Yeah. all the things I like are all plotted on these streets. And I've got it all round there. And I did a big show. The inspiration for it was I did a show for India James, Paul Raymond's granddaughter. She loves my work. I did a big show for her in the Review Gallery over Christmas and I loved it. And I was right in the middle of Soho every day all over Christmas and New Year. And do you know what? I could have lived in it. I could have put a little camp bed in it yeah. and not gone home. If it had been the summer, it was freezing in there. If it had been the summer, I wouldn't have left. Nice. And that was, that, that completely rooted in my mind. I've got to do this piece. And it's got the most emotional attachment because... I've walked every one of them streets. I've hidden in them streets. I've blagged myself in windows. I've stolen food from restaurants in them streets. Do you know what I mean? I've done terribly naughty things in them streets. Everything on there has a little resonance with me, and I'm really pleased with it. And I have, so obviously, as with art, I make art to sell it. But to be honest with you, I think it's going to end up in the wall at home. It means I can't. (laughs) If someone actually offers me, I've already had like a talent agency in Soho make me an offer on it. And it's just not enough. So they were like, "What is your
3: price?" And I'm like, "I don't
2: really know." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I can sell that's it. That's when
3: you're getting your your heart confused yeah, yeah, with just, your wallet, isn't it?
2: It's just like, do I need to sell it? No. Do I want to sell it? Yes. I could make another, but the original one's always the one. Yeah. That you, you know, it, you know, you slave over it, and it's. so um, Could you not
3: just remake it and sell them the second? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, you know. I and mean, even if you do them as a small edition of. To, yes, and you've yeah, got or the or AP.
2: Yes, that—that's the kind. The
3: A.P. is always on its own, then, isn't it?
2: What do you do? Relax. Oh, that's easy. I bought myself a working cocker spaniel from a farm in Gloucester. This dog has to have three hours. Yeah. The farmer said, "This this dog will destroy your life. He will ruin your house. If you exercise him properly and stimulate him and yeah, train him." Yeah, get bored easy. So he's they? on gun dog training on a Sunday. He's, he has agility classes in the week he was at a show last week he's a beautiful thing but you look at him and you just know you're going to be tired and I like it and it's keeping me fit and I just like being out but you know and it also it's that you get that sense of nature with him because he's a hunting dog and people this is my punk rock coming out again I was in the fields last weekend and he came out with a rabbit in his mouth. Oh, shit. And oh well, no, that's what he does. And I all these middle-class people go, oh, my God, your dog, he's got a rabbit. He's killing a rabbit. I it said, no, assault, uh, that's his job. He, um, he's going to eat it too. He's yeah. going to rip it open yeah. in a minute and cover himself in blood. He's a hunting machine. And yeah. it, it gives me great joy to see him charge around fields. And he can now, he's been trained, he can run off for like a mile. i got a special whistle code for him. Three beeps and a long beep Come straight back. You never lose a you never lose a working, working spaniel. He knows where his bread's butter. But no, it's fantastic. That's what I do to relax. No, you love it. No, you know you play on weekends. I've just booked a weekend in um, you know the weekend after next. I'm going to Minehead because it's on the beach. Got a hotel for hundred quid. It's dog friendly.
3: Beach walking. Nice. I love that. Come back with a cod in his mouth. Come
2: back with <laughs> no. Generally,
3: well, seagull.
2: <laughs> you'll, you'll, oh shit! You you'll love a
3: seagull, yeah. If there was you and five other artists, past and present, what would your ideal group show be?
2: Oh, that's easy, isn't it? Punk art. Punk art over the history of time. And you know, and you know what? You don't have to be a punk rocker in the sense of the clothes. It's your attitude. I would... Oh, can you imagine? I'd love to do a show with Caravaggio. I mean, he was a proper punk rocker. Yeah. He used to go out in Italian. He was banned from Italy. He used to go out and fight people for <laughs> money. For money to buy oils. Yeah. And then pictures. I've been to a couple of his shows in Italy, and they make you cry. I mean, it's just un-flipping oh, believable. And they're massive pictures, and they're so dark. And then you see his head. Yeah. He's got pictures of, like, like a body in his own head, in his arm. Yeah. And he only lived till he
3: was, yeah, you know... He, he... he was a bit of a troublemaker, wasn't
2: he? Yeah. And the other great... um artist I like. He's got a really nice punk rock aesthetic. I love Sir Joshua Reynolds. Yeah. Now he was in the time of Mad King George. He's all over the National Gallery. He does big pieces. But he was the very first, the very first celebrity artist. And he would paint whoever he chose were the celebrities. Of course he had a bit of a wicked twist to him. So he would do famous like mistresses nice. to take the piss. Yeah. And like um Soldiers who've done naughty things yeah, abroad, yeah. like my hero, um, Sir, uh, Sir Sir Benastra Tarleton. He's got a massive picture of him now. Tarleton, I've got a portrait of him there. Oh yeah, yeah. that's me imagined as Tarleton, and that that's uh, you can see him in the National Portrait Gallery. I absolutely love him. I've got fifty books on him at home. And obviously, moving on in time, of course, I'd love to have my my punk hero artist as as we were talking, would be uh, Jamie Reid. Of course. Which is an easy one. Yeah. Easy one, because he's the iconic face of punk, so that's just simple.
3: I mean, when we went in that... Sorry, but when we went in that room down the end, and you saw the Union Jack with the Queen and Nevermind the Bollocks, they're just...
2: It's just perfect punk, iconic punk pictures. And then coming up to date, I'm very, very, very fond of and I'm sort of slightly friendly with him, not really friendly with him because he's a bit hard to get on with, uh, uh, Jimmy Colty. And I love the whole KLF. Yes, uh, yes. The way that, not just with the music. on that as well. Yeah, just just the way that, you know, the two guys took the music and the art world in a a different direction again by just basically taking the piss, which is totally punk. And I, I really enjoy that. Modern artists, contemporary artists, I do you know I don't have one, it would be Chris, Bracey. Yeah. Other than that, that would be my five artists through uh, periods of time. But I um I don't have any more contemporary ones, to be honest with you. This guy's quite good. Bruce McLean. He's called an yeah. ad- he's called the anarchist artist. Yeah. He's Scottish, he does more lecturing now, but I've got two massive pieces of Bruce's look. He's someone I certainly work with. I mean I really like his stuff. It's just it's got a bit of madness about it, hasn't yeah. it? It's sort of it's got a
3: structure, but it's just just breaking some rules, isn't
2: yeah, it? Yeah, I, like, I like that. It's just I like it. But see, then I mean this this is great too. But I mean, you know, just stuff, just stuff there, like from just stuff there from you know original nineteen seventy seven artwork is my. I mean, I just love that. Look, look at Sid there. It looks magnificent. We're talking about a triptych it. of Sid Vicious that I've again stolen from the band over periods of time. Um, you can't buy that. No. You know, it's just beautiful. I mean, he's the ultimate punk rocker.
3: So ultimate. <laughs> yeah. He lasted. Yeah. lasted exactly. Learned, burned himself, himself out. out. Yeah. yeah. And if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be?
2: Not a filmmaker, which is what, unfortunately, what I've, uh, life's given me. I would like to be... Motorbike racer? That's, I'd like to be a superbike yeah. always. I know, like, I know you're well into that. Yeah, it's Superbikes. I'm still the director of Superbikes, on the British Superbikes. I've got a film on Netflix, as we speak, called called Speed Is My Need, which is a brilliant film, I must say. Even though I made it, it's still really good. <laughs> um, it's on Netflix worldwide. It's been really popular, and I'm making a follow-up to it this summer on The Isle of Man. Nice. Um, which I'm, I mean, I'm just trying to get the funding for now, which I, it'll be fine. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love I love super Bites. So, anything coming up? Yes, um, just this weekend. Um, while um, well, we were talking, I'm, I'm a, 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 a friend's gallery. I've got some of my work at the Affordable Art Fair at Battersea, and we're thinking that's going to be the last art fair for yeah. a while. And uh, lucky to say, what was the first piece to sell in the show? My hope and glory on a vintage nice. World War II Union Jack. That went the second the show opened. It went. And here we go. This is what we have the bugbear about. Where did it go? Just around the corner, some posh house in Hill Gate. Yeah. It was dropped off this morning to the housekeeper. Well, what has art become, yeah. you know, like we're saying, we, I can't afford to have my own art. Yeah. Alone I don't. You can't knock a sale though, can you? I love, I love a sale. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, my holiday sorted out, you know. But then, then that's
3: where you do a lot of prints as well, didn't you? What we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I want... That I want, makes I want people the or, can't or, afford it.
2: I want the art to be affordable and I was like, um, I want people to think about the art a bit as well because um, you know uh, there's a lot of messages in my art. Because you're even selling
3: your artwork framed as well, aren't yep.
2: you? Yeah, yeah, and it's all very reasonable. And how I much think. do
3: they come in at? The smaller ones.
2: Smaller ones are four hundred. Big ones are eight hundred. Um, but mm-hmm. the only editions are twenty five. They generally all go. They're in galleries everywhere. But I, um, I just, I just want everyone to have a little, little bit of punk attitude yeah. on their wall. I mean, look, you know, people buy a house and they want to put nice things in it. You know, the first thing they're going to do, they get nice carpets, they get a nice kitchen. You know, people's taste in art, even today, is so, it still dramatically shocks me how crap it is. Oh, people got different, yeah. If you know, the next time I see a picture of a horse and they don't own a horse or a picture of a, a this is the great one because I'm Cornish, seascapes.
3: Yeah. A bit of rough waves. I sources for courses and I can't. No, but got, I mean,
2: it just makes me want to. Just it makes it makes me go really punky. I just want to. I want to grab their TV and smash it on my head and set their house on fire. I Everyone's mean, into different things. Aren't I they? know, but it's that seascape thing. Just and landscapes. Like if I see another landscape, if I want to see a landscape, I see one every morning when I walk my dog. If I want a picture of it on my wall. Although I am a softie, I did just commission a portrait artist for dogs to do one of oh, my really? dogs. I've Right. Well, one
3: of my dogs' so I'm not even taking any notice of what you've just told me after you've told me that. Go got, fuck yourself down. Yeah, got me Monty up there. It's
2: ridiculous. Everyone's soft about their pet, but yeah, at least it's my, my dog.
3: Um, social media. You're quite active on social media. Yeah. How can anyone see you on there?
2: Yeah, on Instagram, which is my favourite one, it's Mark underscore Illuminati. Uh Facebook wouldn't let me use uh Mark Illuminati, so it's Mark Sloper, my real name, S L O P R. Why wouldn't they let you use that? I don't that? know. They said I couldn't prove myself that they I couldn't prove that my name was Mark Illuminati. Yeah. Well I couldn't, could I? Because it's made up. Yeah. And then I've got uh I've just had my website redesigned by a good friend of mine called Martin Jackson. You should get your website done by him. He's the chairman of the Art Society Soho that we're all very active in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I he's know. a good mate of mine, Martin. You should have him on the podcast. Um, and it's www.illuminatineon.com. But he's a great guy, too. He, he got sorted me out, loads of galleries, and he's really nice.
3: Got... Oh, I'll tell you what there is. Oh, Talking of seasides. Oh, yes. Last summer, I was down in Ilfkorn. I love Ilfracoon. Great little gallery I walked past, Fleet Gallery, Fleek, Fleek with a K at the end. Yeah, I walked in and it's yeah, everyone I know is on the walls. It was like walking into one of me yeah. one of my own shows.
2: It's great. That what you find is that most galleries you your seascapes and your pictures of your dogs. There
3: was one of them just Next on the door. corner. I yeah. know. And it's nice for holiday makers to go and buy a bit of I
2: home. salute so greatly, even though they take half your money modern contemporary art galleries that want to show emerging artists new art new forms and this guy Dan is new to the art world just wanted to do something different um and just got art that I'd have on my wall not just my art but art like he just got nice stuff and it was just like it's a breath of fresh air And he sold a few bits down there you know but where does he sell the bits to people visiting from London so yeah but the locals ain't buying it but um, you know, I went down, I've been really supportive for him. I've been down, I've done a couple of radio shows for him on the local radio down there.
3: And Yeah, I saw you down there recently. I saw him yeah, on uh, Instagram. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm and I'd still he's still he sells a lot of prints down there. he you know that yeah, he sold a couple of neons, but the prints go very steady down there. So I'm a big supporter of his. And you know, in not in every town, but in lots of towns now around the UK, the one thing that is on the high street is there is I feel it happening. There is a reemergence of little independent art galleries yeah. and long may they continue because, you know, it's hard work sitting in the gallery. When I've done these pop-up shows around London, you know, you're sort of selling your soul and it's a bit disparaging, you know, it's, it's a bit disheartening when you, you can sit there for a whole day and you don't sell nothing. You're yeah. like, oh, does everyone hate me? Yeah. But then, you know, I had the show at Christmas and I sold a major, big David Bowie piece I'd just done. It was in the window at Soho this Austrian guy came up, he's Austria's top DJ, Marty, he came up to me says, how much for that? Got his credit card out, shipped, it was done. Do you know what I mean? Made the whole
3: two weeks. It's done. nice to know a few people like that.
2: It? Yeah, well, I didn't know him. He just yeah. he just was in Soho having a glass of champagne, fell in love with the piece, said, I have to have it. Nice. And now it sits on his wall in Austria. And, and uh, you know, what a great story. It was just like Austria. I mean, you would imagine that? You
3: yeah. Know? Well, that's all my questions asked, Mark. Thanks, I've really Thank enjoyed it. Thank you very it. much for your time.
2: Yeah, you've got me thinking about old Chris Bracey again because I'm surrounded by him all the time. Good. That's not Thanks, mate. Not a bad Right, to end, is it?
3: No. Good luck to you. There you have it. Mark Sloper, punk artist extraordinaire. What an amazing story, eh? And a man that definitely shoots from the hip. And if you've got a few punk bones in your body, go over to Mark's Instagram page, which is Mark Illuminati you'll definitely find a bit of neon with Attitude. As I said in the intro, these additional bits are being recorded a week prior to release. So I hope listening to this has kept the old stir-crazy vibe at bay for an hour. And the next episode, like the last episode, is an artist that's produced a portrait of the Queen via Royal Commission. So like I say every week, if you're able, leave a comment. It really does help us become more visual on various podcast platforms and it also helps others who are looking for an art podcast. So until next time, keep safe guys. Ciao
0: Selling a Little or A Lot?
1: that's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince.